0: Let us pray. Dear Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I grew up in a smaller town in Texas. And so at night the stars truly were big and bright (laughs) and I didn't spend a ton of time stargazing, but I really do remember nights out in the yard where I would stop and wish on the first or the brightest star, or I would take time to find the constellations. And now I almost feel like I took that for granted because living in a more populated area, it's a little harder to see the stars bright in the sky. You have to drive out a ways. And I don't take the time to do that, to to just sit and wonder at the sky. And it truly is wonder at the sky that brings us our story today, the story of these three wise men who followed the star. And we, we talked about this a little bit on Christmas Eve, the idea that the wise men are part of our nativity set there at the birth of Christ, but in reality, the child was probably a toddler before they really made their way to see and to worship the Christ child. So we celebrate the arrival of the Magi or the wise men on Epiphany, which is the 13th day after Christmas. And that's going to be coming this Thursday, the 6th. And so this is Epiphany Sunday, uh, the arrival of the Magi or the wise man. And it's a sign that God in Christ has been made known not just to the people of Israel, but to the whole world. Such that even these Gentiles came from a faraway place to worship him. So the story of the wise men told in the second chapter of Matthew shows us three ways to respond to that knowledge. This gift of Emmanuel, God with us. So as we read, pay attention to the three different responses to the news of Christ's birth shown to us through three characters, Herod, the chief priests and the scribes, and then the wise men hear these words from Matthew. The second chapter verses one through 12 and the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where's the child who has been born King of the Jews for we observed his star at its rising and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea for so it has been written by the prophet and you Bethlehem in the land of Judah, And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. These are God's words for God's people. Anger, apathy, and adoration. Those are the three responses to the birth of Christ that we see in this text. So first, let's look at Herod. Now, to avoid any confusion, there are six Herods that are mentioned in the New Testament. Um, It's not so much a name unique to one man, but to a family that had been appointed by Rome to govern Palestine and the surrounding areas for about 150 years. Um, This particular Herod was called Herod the Great, and he ruled from around 47 to 4 B.C., And we often think of the story as just another part of the Christmas narrative. It's really charming to think of these wise and gentle men traveling from afar to come and to see the baby and to worship him. But truly this story that Matthew tells is one of political dynamite. Herod was not Jewish, but he knew their beliefs and their customs. He knew that current thought, was that the Messiah who was coming would be a political or a military savior, not a spiritual one. That's why it says he was afraid. And we read later in Matthew uh, why he tells the wise men, come on back, tell me where to find him. And of course the wise men are warned by an angel not to do that and they take a different road home And then as you read on in Matthew, you see Herod's response, the slaughter of the innocents, he tries so hard to ensure that this king would never be. What we know of Herod the great was that he was a shrewd and a talented ruler. Uh, He completed the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, There were times that he could be generous. He canceled taxes in difficult times. Uh, He even once melted down his own gold to buy food for people at a time of drought but he was also paranoid and insecure In his panic to secure his power over the years. He killed his brother-in-law. He killed his wife. He killed her mother. He killed three of his own sons trying to make sure that he kept his rule. So to this news that a new ruler for the Jewish people had been born, a ruler potentially so powerful that Gentiles were coming from far away to worship him. He responds with fear and anger, anger driven as it often is by insecurity. The second reaction that we see in Matthew is of the chief priests and the scribes that Herod has called to tell the wise men and to tell him where this event would occur. The chief priests would have been a collection of former and current chief priests, and they were selected from just a few families. They were the high priesthood of the Israelite people. The scribes would have been those who were experts in the scripture, experts in the law. And so they knew exactly when Herod asked them the prophecy from Micah that says that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. These people would have had power and influence, and they were very knowledgeable in the ways of the scriptures and the law. And so they knew the answer, but knowing is very different than believing. You would think that in their answer, there might have been excitement, anticipation, and joy that that this was what their people had been waiting for that the Messiah was going to be born, that they knew where it was going to happen. You would think that like the wise men, they would have been excited to go and to worship the king. But they were indifferent. Whether from disbelief or ignorance or possibly concern of creating more political turmoil, the chief priests and scribes are apathetic. They are unmoved by this news that the Messiah is to be born. And that's really the irony of this story that the religious insiders of the Israelite people who ought to have rejoiced at the birth of their Messiah were apathetic, so engrossed in their ritual, so engrossed in making sure they practiced the law correctly that they overlooked Jesus. I really see a lot of myself in these men. These men who knew the scripture, knew the prophecy. They knew where to find the Messiah, but they didn't go out of their way to worship him. They didn't allow their life to, to be changed by this amazing gift from God. Is that not often us? We know the details of the incarnation of God. Yet we are often unmoved by the truth and the grace and the power that that can have in our lives. We want to keep control. We put God in a box. We take God down when we need God. And then maybe when things are going okay, we put God back. We go about our daily life. Largely unchanged by this amazing gift of God. I feel like we must be apathetic like these chief priests and scribes. Because if we weren't, if we were the opposite of apathetic, if we were truly passionate about God's work in our lives, if we were fully aware, if we made this full commitment to turn our lives over to Christ. If we were truly on fire for God, there would be more transformation occurring around us. If we were exhibiting the fruit of the spirit, people would see it. They would want to know if we were saying, come and see Noel, this amazing gift, come and see what it's done for me. This community would be transformed. There would be revival. I wish that I were more like the Magi because in their response, the third response, we see adoration, not anger, not apathy, just adoration. Magi is kind of a hard word to explain. Uh, they weren't Kings like the tradition tells us, you know, we sing the song, we three Kings, they weren't actually Kings more likely they were advisors to Kings. Um, they were men who studied astrology, which at that time is more like what we would call astronomy. Um, they studied philosophy and science of the time. We really don't know exactly how many there actually were. We don't know their names. We don't even really know exactly where they were from. We think that they were Gentiles, probably from Babylon, most likely from the same group that Daniel won over for the Lord 600 years earlier. They had heard of these scriptures that had been passed down through the generations, but what matters most is why they were coming to worship and adore this baby that they had heard would be king of the Jews. And when they found him, the scripture tells us they were overwhelmed with joy. They bowed down to worship. Those words don't really seem like enough to convey the feeling, the overwhelming joy that they must have felt the, the immediate way that they bowed down to worship. Because for them, once they saw the Christ child, even though he was just a mere infant, they knew there was no other choice but to bow down and worship. It is in stark contrast to the indifference of the chief priests and the scribes, the establishment of the Israelite people. And scripture doesn't really tell us what happens to the wise men after that. We know that they go home by a different road. They ignore Herod's order to come back to him, which really put their lives at great risk. But we don't, we don't hear anything else in scripture about these men. And I wonder how the rest of their lives went. How was their life changed by this encounter with Christ? How is your life changed by your encounter with Christ? Is it different? Do you live in a different way after encountering and accepting Christ than you did before? If it's not radically different, then I would argue that you're living that apathetic response of the chief priests and scribes. If it is radically different, then you need to tell people. Tell people why it's different, how it's different. What changed for you when Christ became your savior? Because that's not a gift that we want to keep to ourselves. It's a gift that we are meant to share with as many people as possible because it is life changing. It should be life changing. Today's text shows us three responses to Christ anger and apathy, which in reality are both rejection of the gift of the gospel, and then adoration. As we enter this new year, what will be your response to this gift that this past Christmas season has just reminded us of, this gift of God with us? If you're hearing this and feeling a little challenged, to turn over more of your life to Christ. You can talk to me, Mike, Susie, Becca, anybody on staff, and we can help you to plug in to study, to get with a mentor, to have a place of service, give you an opportunity to share your witness as Christians on this side of Easter, knowing that not only did God come to dwell with us as a baby growing and experiencing all that we experience and then dying for us, offering us salvation, offering us forgiveness in truly an incomprehensible act of mercy and then being raised to eternal life and offering us the same. For all this, what is our response? Active rejection through anger like Herod? Passive rejection through apathy like the chiefs and the scribes? Or will we choose adoration like the magi who came from so far to worship and offer their gifts to Christ? It is my prayer That as a church, we will enter this year, ever mindful of the gift of Christ, of the gospel that we have received and that we will make adoration, not just our response this day, but practice adoration every day. Through worship, through study, through acts of service to others, through the offering of our time, our talent, our treasure and our witness. That through all of us, this community might know of this good news, this amazing gift and truly be transformed through a deep love of God and of neighbor. Let us pray. Patient Lord, we ask that you wait for us while we get nostalgic over the manger scene. Our hearts are warmed by the witness of the shepherds by the journey and the adoration of the Magi. We want to stay right at that time and feel the glow of that love. But you call us to go from the manger back to our fields, back to our schools, back to our homes and our work. Lord, you continue to pour your transforming love into our lives. And we are challenged to look for places where we can bring that glad good news of hope and salvation, where we can make peace and goodwill a reality by sharing your amazing love with others. Remind us, Lord, of all the opportunities that we are given to celebrate your love and your power and then stir within us the courage and the conviction to do that. Lord, we pray in the name of the Christ child given to us so freely who we have received, amen.